Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You know, back when Reagan became governor of California in the 70s, he knew that an educated populace was more progressive and more likely to vote Democratic. And he was determined to stop the explosion of California educated Americans caused by the 1944 GI Bill and free tuition at the University of California, where he was the governor. Forty years later now, we are just kneecapped. We've got 44 million Americans crippled with student debt. Uh, This is a $1.5 trillion drag on our economy. And that doesn't begin to describe the damage that's been done to this country. After he destroyed low-income Californians' ability to get an education in the 1970s, his first year as governor of California, he ended free tuition at the University of California system and cut their state aid to the college system by 20% right across the board, just in his first year. When he was asked why, he said, and I quote, college students are too liberal. And, quote, America should not subsidize intellectual curiosity. Like, education is just, we just do it for fun, right? I mean, fully 60% of the college-educated vote in 2020 went to Joe Biden. Republicans have a reason to hate college. Colleges produce thoughtful people. They produce people who are capable of thinking for themselves, who are capable of researching things, who are, you know, who are capable of critical thinking. That's why Limbaugh used to call college college graduates and professors, the pointy-headed liberals of academia, right? You know, on May 1st, 1970, Ronald Reagan came out and said that the American students protesting the war in Vietnam were, quote, brats, freaks, and cowardly fascists, and said, quote, if it takes a bloodbath, let's get it over with, no more appeasement. Four days later was the Kent State Massacre, and four students were dead. Before Reagan became president, The states paid 65% of the cost of college. The federal government paid about 15%. So in other words, government paid 80% of the cost of education. Students paid 20%. That was tuition. Today, it's exactly reversed. The states pay about 20% and the federal government and students pay about 80%. As, you know, just ask any student, right? Devin Fergus documented this for the Washington Post. He said, when Reagan became president, quote, no, this is the Washington Post, no federal program suffered deeper cuts than student aid. Spending on higher education was slashed by some 25% between 1980 and 1985. Students eligible for grant assistance freshman year had to take out student loans to cover their second year. And this became the mantra, the conservatives' mantras, you know, let kids pay for their own damn liberal educations. David Stockman in 1981 told a reporter, I don't accept the notion that the federal government has an obligation to fund generous grants to anybody who wants to go to college. I'd suggest that we could probably cut more. And then his first, his first education secretary, Terrell Bell, wrote in his memoir, Stockton and all the true believers identified all that drag and drain on the economy with the tax eaters, people on welfare, unemployment insurance, students. Right. Oh, and then he added, the elderly bleeding the public purse with Medicare, the poor exploiting Medicaid. And then, and then uh, 360, Sean. And then, of course, we got William Bennett, his next education secretary, who had this to say. But I, I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, you could, if that were your sole purpose, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. That would be an impossible, ridiculous, and morally reprehensible thing to do. 
but your crime rate would go down. Right. So this was the Reagan position, right? It's like, you know, if they're not, if, if people can't afford to go to college, screw them. And if they're going to become criminals, you know, we're this. I mean, it was just insane. My dad and my wife's dad both went to college on the GI Bill. My dad didn't graduate. Louise's dad not only graduated, but became the assistant attorney general for the state of Michigan. They were two out of eight almost 8 million young men and women who not only got free tuition from the 1944 GI Bill, but also got a monthly stipend to pay for room, board, and books. And the return on this investment was breathtaking. Edward Humes wrote a book called Over Here, How the GI Bill Transformed the American Dream. He's like the authority on this subject. And this is an excerpt from that, or a summary of that. That groundbreaking legislation gave our nation, now keep in mind, this paid for with tax dollars, nobody paid a penny to go to college on this. That groundbreaking legislation gave our nation 14 Nobel Prize winners, three Supreme Court justices, three presidents, 12 senators, 24 Pulitzer Prize winners, 238,000 teachers, 91,000 scientists, 67,000 doctors, 450,000 engineers, 240,000 accountants, 17,000 journalists, 22,000 dentists, and millions of lawyers, nurses, actors, artists, writers, pilots, and entrepreneurs. And not only that, when people have a college education, they not only contribute to society, but, you know, in, shall we say, more vigorous ways, increasing the competence and vitality of a nation, but they also make more money, which stimulates the economy. And, and because they earn more, they pay more in taxes, which helps pay back the government for the cost of their education. If you look at the GI Bill in 1952 dollars, just to standardize it, the GI Bill's education benefit cost America $7 billion. Over the next 40 years, and they've done the math on this, over the next 40 years, that $7 billion investment created an increase in economic output of $35.6 billion. You know, like we invented the transistor, stuff like that, right? Uh, the extra taxes received from those high, higher wage earners produced $12.8 billion. In other words, for every dollar we invested, we got $7 back as a nation. Not to mention transistors and microprocessors and the internet and sending men to the moon and Velcro and Tang. And it's like uh, we led the world in innovation, R&D, and new business generation for three generations. And it's not like this is a secret from American presidents. Jefferson and Lincoln both knew about this. Jefferson started the University of Virginia as a free college. He was so proud of that. It's on his tombstone rather than the fact that he was president. He wrote his own epitaph. And Lincoln passed the Morrill Act in 1862, which gave 90,000 acres to each state in the Union, 90,000 acres of federal land, and said, sell this land and put that money in a trust to pay for free tuition to this college in perpetuity. Out of that came 76 either free or very low tuition colleges, state colleges across the United States. My mom went to one, Michigan State University, so did I very briefly. But and not only that, you know, the GI Bill didn't just pay for that, they also paid for room and board and books. And this is normal around the world, by the way. What we did with the GI Bill is now being done routinely all over the world. There's over 300,000 American students right now studying for free in Germany, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic, among others. So, I mean, we look at this damage that these Republican policies have done, both economic and human, and it's devastating. You've got, you know, two generations of young people who have not been able to start new businesses who have, and become entrepreneurs, who have not been able to buy houses, who have not been able to start a family and have kids because they're so deeply in debt with student loans. This is, this is kneecapping America at a time when we need to be soaring. We need innovation. You know, there's all this talk now about Joe Biden doing an executive order to slightly reduce people's student debt. We need Congress to act. We need to fully zero out all student debt in the United States. And we need to go back to funding colleges 80-20 instead of 20-80 like we had before Reagan. We need to reverse Reaganism in this regard and make college in the United States once again something that you can attend. You can put yourself through college 
like I did. I mean, I didn't complete college, but, you know, when I went, I paid for it by working as a dishwasher at Bob's Big Boy and changing tires at the Exxon station on Trowbridge Road in East Lansing. My mom went through college at Michigan State University in the 1940s, paid her way by being a summer lifeguard up in Charlevoix, Michigan, up north in Michigan. I mean, you could do that. We should be able to do that again. People should be able to go to college either for free or so cheap that they can pay for it with a summer job. That was America up until Ronald Reagan became president. We need to bring that back. It's essential. This is the Tom Hartman Program. That rant, by the way, if you want the details or the, or the numbers, is over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, How Student Debt is Sabotaging America. Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, just donated $133 million to a nonprofit that works with K-12 schools across the country. It's called Communities in Schools. I mean, it's a wonderful thing that she did this. But why do we live in a country where we have to rely on billionaires? She's a billionaire herself. Why do we live in a country where we have to rely on billionaires to pay for our schools or to make our schools work? She also gave $800 million to historically black colleges and universities. Again, why do we have any colleges or universities that have to rely on money from billionaires? You know, I get it if, you know, making a donation to build a new building or expand a college or something like that. You know, I, I salute that. But our educational system is in, in shambles. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? <laughs> a lot of things, I guess. Hey, I just wanted to mention that you probably know this, that at a lot of universities, whether they're public or private, there's a lot of building going on. And I'm sure a lot of these buildings are being built because of donations from very, very rich people. But I have to say that that's probably one of the drivers of these rising costs of tuition to the students. And, you know, with things like virtual learning, unlike K-12, to I would say that somebody in college, they probably can handle taking courses online. I certainly have as an adult. That was about 10 years ago when I had to take a couple of classes online because of uh, credential requirements. Mm -hmm. You know, that's driving it. Uh, but the other thing is, like you're talking about, uh, how uh, these um, these rich people aren't paying taxes, and we're losing something like $8 trillion a year now from lost revenue because it's just not collected by the IRS. And, of course, a lot of this money is offshored. But, sure, the burden... Uh, the burden has fallen back onto the populace instead of uh, onto the people who run huge businesses that make huge taxes. Right. Another thing you just said that popped into my mind is you said that now we're, we're into two generations of perhaps young people not being able to start businesses. So I want to take, take an example of someone who did, and that's Mark Zuckerberg, whose father was a dentist. And it was about 19 years ago that he dropped out of Harvard, 19, 20 years ago. He dropped out of Harvard and moved to Palo Alto, where already then the rents were high. How did he get, and he didn't have a job. He just went there with his buddy, and they grifted for money to start Facebook. That's really what they did. So how was he able to pay the rents? Well, he had a wealthy daddy. Months? I mean, yeah, daddy did. And see, that's the thing. It's all about daddy now. And this is, this, when by I, the way, this, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it in passing. I probably should have done a deeper dive, but the article was already at 1,200 words. Um, but this is, this is how it kneecaps minorities, you know, this, this whole situation. Because when you've got people who are literally first-generation college, uh, because, you know, previous generations were literally kept out of college, then they don't, you know, they don't have that advantage that, that Mark Zuckerberg had of having a college-educated and therefore wealthy father or parent. Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, th th that brings me to another thing. Uh, you, you mentioned the GI Bill. Not a lot of people probably know that black veterans were basically excluded from having it. I know. Yeah, uh, Truman made a deal with the Southern, uh, Southern Democrats, who are now Republicans nowadays. Right. Right. Uh, but back then they were Democrats. That was the price to and, get it passed. You know, 
Yeah, I, I was driving around in San Jose with my dad. This was a few years before he died. And I would go over there and, and drive him around, you know, uh, once or twice a week. And uh, he, he he was a veteran of World War II. He didn't even know that. He yeah. was shocked. Well, it wasn't. Was, my understanding, was, Dennis, is that it, actually it wasn't that was the, the deal with the Democrat. It was that black veterans were eligible for the GI Bill. They just couldn't find a college that would admit them, and they couldn't find a bank that would loan them money or a neighborhood that would sell them homes. I mean, you know, they they couldn't take advantage of it because of redlining and because of, you know, racial discrimination at the college level. There could have been protections against that put in the GI Bill. But keep in Mm -hmm. mind, I mean, this was before Brown v. Board. This was, we were still operating under, under Plessy versus Ferguson. Adele in Chicago. Hey, Adele, what's up? Hey, Tom. Okay, I went to San Francisco State University in 1979 and 1980. Guess how much I paid per semester? Just take a wild guess. Uh, geez, I don't, probably in the neighborhood of 100 bucks, something like that. Oh, my God. No one has ever, ever guessed. Well, that's, it that's what it cost for a term at MSU back in, in 69, 70, as mm-hmm. I recall. And, and, my income was babysitting. I could babysit and get a university degree. And here's my final comment. I looked up the equivalent of $100. Today, it's $384.02. Right. Yep. I like that. Yep. No, you could, do, you could do it. Thanks for testifying, Adele. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Tom, I think I'm in the twilight zone today. How's that? As, uh, I read something in New York Times, and I thought, I've got to try to talk to Tom. This is so incredible. And you're talking about education and Reagan and the whole thing. And I was there in Berkeley when it happened, and it was dreadful beyond belief. We're still suffering. Bear with me. I have a clogged up gnome. I'm going to hurry here. Do you know who Tara Westover is, who wrote Educated? I don't. Book a few years ago, I think in okay. 2015. She came up from absolutely nothing in Utah, believe it or not, was raised by Mormon parents, never set foot in a classroom until her first class at Brigham Young University that she got a little something or other to. She was part-time employed and managed to pay for all this to the point of what you're talking about, how people were able to do it then. She went on to get a PhD at Cambridge, for heaven's sake, right? And she writes an article in today's New York Times about she is not the example of the American dream. She's the exception that so many people without advantage and money behind them have no ability to get educated beyond their parents' status, if you will. and, and I know you don't like quotes. May I please have your permission to read just one sentence? Sure. It brought me almost <laughs> one to sentence tears. is fine. Go for it. Almost to tears. It was so, this was at the end of her article, which was so, so powerful. I recommend it to everybody. Um, she said, if we were more ambitious and could we could tackle the supreme inequality that in recent decades has, get this word, the, the supreme inequality in recent decades that has disfigured every fact and facet of both social and political life in America. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Isn't that, it's absolutely it's true. incredible. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it is absolutely true. Nicholas, thank you. Thank you very much for that. It's, uh, it's a great one. Uh, Daryl in Norcross, Georgia. Hey, Daryl, what's up? Hey, Tom, I'm mad. I'm an attorney. I used to do bankruptcy, and I've called you up before about this, but this angers me. The goal of the Bankruptcy Code, the Act, is to provide individuals and businesses, quote-unquote, a fresh start. That's what I was taught when I was in law school. Wouldn't you, wouldn't discharging, discharging student debt for education be a fresh start, Tom? Yeah. Really? (laughs) It would. Wait a minute, check, check this out, Tom. Right now, the Treasury Department is discharging PPP loans. Not all of them, but billions in PPP loans. What's up with that? Oh, I'm mad. I'm mad. Joe Biden should just, just right now, I could walk up there and give him a pen, sign something saying discharge the debt. Now, I know it is a congressional thing. Just do it and then watch who complains about it. The, well, the, the thing is, Daryl, he, can, he, can, he controls about half the student debt in the country, which right. is government funded. The other half is bank funded, and he doesn't control that. Congress could do something that. about that, but they'd have to pay off the banks. Um, but he, can't, he doesn't have the ability to pay off the banks, but he does have the ability to wipe out you know, uh, uh, student loans. 
and but, and but, you know they were okay. talking originally about him doing fifty thousand dollars, wiping out the first fifty thousand. Now they're talking about having him wipe out the first ten thousand. I'm like, you know, this is putting Band-Aid on please. cancer. You know, please. Yeah. Are you have, can you please tell me why why are we doing this with the PPP loans then? What's yeah. the difference? Yeah. You're giving those businesses a fresh start because of COVID. There you, there you go. There you go. Let me go. Bye. Yeah. No, it's a fresh start. Thank you, Daryl. David in North Miami Beach, Florida. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, y'all. Good to hear you on Chicago Radio. Thank you. Yeah, I had the opposite problem. I could not get a college loan, even though I was accepted for a Master of Finance program. But uh, the, what I see is we suffer under a gerontocracy that we're ruled by, well, largely baby boomers. And as uh, Dr. Justin Frank talked about us having to challenge Trump. So we Gen Xers and younger, we're still trying to cope with, in some ways, parenting these baby boomers, and our unlikely allies are the pre-boomers, like uh, Gary Hart, Patrick Leahy, Bernie Sanders, because a lot of these boomers in power, they stay in power, um, and uh, while the few of us Gen Xers in power, uh, a chunk of there's a few who are able to retire, like Paul Ryan, but a yeah. lot of us are basically... David, I hate to break it to you, but it's always been up. that way in America. I mean, you know, and, and the young people are coming up. Look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is going to... I'm predicting she's going to give Chuck Schumer a run for his money. All, all, all true, but it's the paradox that the baby boomers, because on the one hand, yes, they have improved health, but so many of them, again, could not, would not retire until, you know, there's a bubble, and then they all retire at once without a real plan for their success. Yeah, well, that's not happening. That that, that's not happening. But this is, this is, not, a, this is not a boomer problem. This is, this, is a, this is a funding problem. It's, it's really simple. It's a matter of priorities. Are we going to prioritize education in the United States or not? You know, we haven't for 40 years. In fact, we've deprioritized it. Dick in Las Vegas. Hey, Dick, what's on your mind today? Uh, yeah, I was listening to you talk about student loans and... Um, if my memory serves me correctly, it started in 1961 when they first started student loans, and they were administered by the universities at times. Now, I, applied, I didn't think I'd be eligible, and I applied for one and got $500 that first semester there. And, um, and they were, you had 10 years to pay them back, and the interest rate was 3%. And then I got one in the well the second semester in 1962 then i graduated the only thing that upset me a little bit was if you were a teacher for each year you taught school you got you were relieved of 50 percent of the amount you're supposed to pay back that year i had to right. go into the military because i wasn't draft you know mm -hmm. i didn't have any excuse to avoid the draft and, uh, and then it was nixon to my knowledge, that turned the um, the student loan program over to the banks. Now, when I paid mine off, hmm. I paid it off early, but I made my appointments directly to the university. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, that was all changed by Nixon, and um, you know, and then that's they. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I don't know at that level of granularity. I don't know the the history of the student loan program in the United States or student loan programs. You know, there've probably been many yeah. of them over the years. But that's a fascinating insight, Dick. You've given me some, some stuff to dig into, and maybe I can add to my article today after I get off the air. Thanks a lot for the call and, and, yes. and for the story hey, you're sharing with us. Hey, Brian in Downers Grove, correctly. Illinois. Hey, Brian, what's up? It started in 19... Brian? Uh, uh, you got to listen to your phone, not your radio. Sarah in Minneapolis. Hey, Sarah, what's on your mind today? <clears throat> yeah, I, um, I recently went through a medical bankruptcy. Um, I'm 55 years old, and I have a tremendous uh, student loan debt um, from graduate school, not even my undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. um, and I sat down with a financial planner last year, and she looked at my um, student loan debt, and she said, you'll never be able to pay this off. Um, it's just mathematically impossible. So you and, have a lifetime um, burden here. Yes, I have $200,000 in debt that I um, – Mostly because of the interest that is accrued on my um, graduate school loans. Wow. And um, I, I've been told, too, is that these are all federally subsidized loans, hmm. is that um, uh, Social Security can take away from my Social Security, which is one of the only things I have 
um, to retire on right. to pay back those loans. So I'm looking at a very scary um, retirement, and I'm medically unable to work full time, so I don't even qualify for the, the uh, forgiveness the forgiveness programs. That's amazing, Sarah. Uh, thank you for sharing that story with us. I mean, this this, this is such a great example of how just awful this whole entire system is. Sarah, thank you. We tell young people, get an education, get a get a graduate degree if you can. And then we say, hey, you cost you a fortune, didn't it? You're stuck. You're going to have to pay the bank till the day you die. It's amazing. We got to fix this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Brad in uh, Prattville, Alabama. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind today? Hey, I was thinking about the, uh, the college thing. I wanted to share the millennial perspective on this. When I entered the job market around 2003 or four, every single job I applied for over $10 an hour required a college degree. And I didn't, I just, I did not, I was not in a situation where I could not work and go to school and pay for it. So if you, if you don't come from a family with money, then you have to foot the bill yourself. We leave you with crippling debt because that helps out all the banks for buddies in the ruling class. They, they, they designed the system a certain way exactly for that reason. And then they wonder why millennials in particular are embracing certain aspects of socialism. It's because we've seen how well it works for the corporate, you know, corporate socialism works real well for the ruling class. And we kind of, you know, might want a little taste of that ourselves. Yeah. And it works really, and, and by the way, it works really well for the citizens of France or Germany or Denmark or Norway or Mexico or Costa Rica. College is free in Costa Rica, for God's sake. Uh, you know, yeah, we can't do that you, here. Oh. Say what? Hey, let me tell you something else that gets me is when you hear Fox News talk about free college or, or tax breaks, it's no, no, these are the job creators. Jeff Bezos is a job creator. I've worked 15 years as an electrician, got licensed four years ago. I have my business license, but guess what? I can't quit my current job because if I lose my insurance, I, won't, I'm, I may not be able to afford the insurance. I won't be able to afford the other benefits. I would like to create some jobs in my area. Yeah, you know, I'm with you, Brad. And, and, and by the way, just because somebody starts a business doesn't mean that they're, or just sorry, somebody's rich doesn't mean that they're a job creator. That is such a canard, the whole job creator thing. Brad, thank you for the call. It was great to hear from you and, 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 and to get your perspective. And I, 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 my sense of it is that our, our view on this is aligned. Thank you, Brad. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the place where despair is not an option. Michael in Rock Hall, Maryland. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Hey, um, I'd like to talk about uh, just some anecdotal experience I've had with um, how influence from the super rich can affect uh, college curricula. Sure. Uh, I noticed uh, at uh, the liberal arts college that I went to, St. Mary's College of Maryland, uh, it's down, down in southern, southern Maryland, a beautiful place. Um, uh, back in 2019 to 2020, they started building a new uh, center for performing arts. Mm -hmm. And later in the following school year, 2020 to 2021, I found out, well, everyone found out that uh, the Board of Trustees and the administration had decided to cut out uh, a bunch of different majors, uh, things like music, some languages, uh, philosophy, I believe, uh, theater and film, uh, a lot of the performing arts. And they, they can, they, some of them they removed completely, some of them they condensed, and they replaced them with business and computer science. Uh, among like one or two other things, and I mean it, it's it's a liberal arts school, so this is like this is completely against you know what right. you would think. Right. 
but, um, but what I'm pretty sure happened was uh, some of the people on the board of the trustees, and I, I heard uh, earlier that the board of trustees and some wealthy donors actually include some, uh, quote, libertarian, unquote, political candidates like Gary Johnson. Very good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, this and, is, this uh, is. I mean, you've got, it's it's easily documented. I mean, you just Google, you know, uh, Coke, K-O-C-H, and colleges, and uh, I'm guessing it'll pop right up. That, uh, and it's not just, you know, the Coke brothers, but, but, but these right-wing billionaires have been investing hundreds of billions of dollars over the years, maybe billions, I don't know, in, in total. Uh, to to build out these these uh, things like the Mercatus Center, the uh, you know they're they're, I, they're they're basically buying political science and economic science schools within universities and influencing uh, you know a whole lot of other stuff beyond that. So uh, it's it, it's nuts. Michael, thank you for the call. Mike in Ketchikan, Alaska. Hey, Mike, what's up? I guess I consider myself kind of an independent. I think my voter registration card says undeclared or mm -hmm. unaffiliated on it. But anyway, I was I get this uh, thing from Daily Coast Election on my email, mm -hmm. and I just saw this morning. I just heard you talking about how, like, some of the southern states are are um, suppressing. Voting, and right. then I just saw this thing on Daily Coast election. It says New York's legislature passed a Democratic proposed new congressional map aimed at transforming a 19 to 8 advantage Democrats currently enjoy in state congressional delegation to a 22 to 4 edge. And so I guess my question is is this kind of an outlier, or are we seeing simply that, oh, well, Democrats are doing the same kind of gerrymandering? Yeah. The gerrymandering that they did in New York is real, and it is benefiting Democrats. It's not anywhere near as surgically precise. I mean, they're they're not breaking neighborhoods in half. They're not going through the the people's backyards. I mean, they're, the 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 just insane stuff that they've done to break up some of these. Uh, so, but it, yeah, it's it's real, and and as long as it's legal. I mean, this this is the challenge, uh, Mike. Gerrymandering right now is perfectly legal. So do you just surrender uh, on your principles? California did. California said, okay, we're just not going to do it anymore. But on the other hand, California is fairly safe. So, you know, they could do that. There are other states that are as well. Uh, but uh, but that, those are my thoughts on that. But that has nothing to do with our topic of education here today. Uh, Abby in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hey, Abby, what's up? You talked about the issue of student loans, and it triggered a thought that I've had recently. A lot of people, especially right-wingers, but even some on the uh, Democratic side, say that I paid for my student loans. Why should these kids get their loans forgiven? But my response to that is our education was very heavily subsidized compared to now. So instead of saying that we're forgiving the student loans, let's say that we're retroactively restoring the education subsidy that these kids were denied. Ah, so we're restoring education funding retroactively. That makes a lot yes, of sense. Because, because that's uh, you know, what, you know, we, we took that away. Yeah, and the other area, and, and I probably should have included this in the article, where people are getting student loans right now is for trade schools. You know, going to school to become a, oh, wow. a, a plumber or a welder. I mean, those, those schools, uh, you know, or a pilot or a, uh, you know, I mean, a locksmith. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of professions that require training that you know is not necessarily a four-year university it's typically a two-year program and those are that, that, this is like this for the last 20 years this has been like one of the growth areas for student loans the industry should be supporting that we've got trade schools here we, we have industries where i live that there's a lot of welding and yeah. and and we have to our technical school has to crank out welders well the company that builds these air conditioners should be subsidizing the train school trade schools that are training these people well i know i think it should be all of us i think this is a societal obligation uh, this this is what we do to make the make this a, a better country i, I get your point but uh, and so indirectly, then, the companies would be subsidizing that through their taxes going up. Bobby, thanks a lot for the call. It's nice to hear from you. Bob in Hobbs, New Mexico. Hey, Bob, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I was wondering, Tom, if you had a chance to document the change of incarceration after Reagan just dropped the educational benefits, uh, economic benefits of uh, not just the numbers, of actual people in some way that who would have gone to education, who were trying to pursue an education, weren't able to, and then 
became incarcerated because of criminal activity, because they, or their education wasn't uh, pursued. It makes sense that some folks not being able to pursue an education might lead them down other paths, but I, you know, no, I, in short answer to your, answer to your question, Bob, I don't know of uh, any research that ties those two things together. I mean, you know, just intellectually, speculatively, you, you would think there's probably a correlation, and I think you're probably onto something. But exactly yeah, what it is, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, haven't, haven't seen the stuff. Great research to look into. It would that. be. It would be. Bob, thanks a lot for the call. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's up? Hi, Tom. A great rant, and okay. I'd like to rant uh, also Go in the it. similar vein. Um, I, I have noticed that ever since Ronald Reagan, we've been in a great decline. And not only that, but that decline has accelerated so much ever since, uh, a little bit before Trump, really. But with, uh, with Trump, it's accelerated to the point where the Republican Party is nothing but a party of liars and obstructionists. And there's no hope of getting anything done that could help this country. I mean, even when Obama was president, we squeaked by with that Affordable Care Act like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they did everything they could to ruin it and destroy it and keep it from even happening. Yep. So, I mean, even back then, and but especially since Trump, it's just lies it's obstruction. And now Mitch McConnell's saying, we're not even going to tell you what our policy is, you right. know. But they really have no policy. Their this, platform is no policy. Right. This, this they're, is... they're just going to obstruct and lie. And our country is going to go down and down and down, because this has not just been an economic decline, according to uh, Ms. Richard Wolf, which I, whom I love. It's a moral decline, and, and it's, it's truly uh, terrible. I mean, we just, I don't think we're going to recover from this. I really, really don't. Well, I, th I think we will, Carol. I think the tide is turning. I think people are waking up. What's, what's, what Republicans have been doing, the game that they've been playing now for about 15, 20 years, is when a Democrat is in office, they block everything the Democrat is doing. And when Americans come to these Republicans and say, well, what do you stand for? They go, well, we just don't want them to have power. And everybody goes, okay, well, it's just politics. But then when the Republicans are in power, all they do is pass tax cuts. We saw this in the four years of the Trump administration, deregulation and tax cuts. And so when people go to them and say, well, what are you for? They're like, well, we're not going to tell you. We don't know yet. And, uh, or we're, you know, we're going to revigorate America with tax cuts. And it's just wearing thin. I don't think people are buying their BS anymore. Well, the sad thing is, the people, the thing that's going to take us down, I think, is that your rant is not going out on the major networks. It's not being heard. Yeah. And they're going to keep on voting Republican. Yeah. I, you know, I get what you're saying, Carol, and uh, I'd love to see Free Speech TV double their, their viewer base, you know, in, in six months and double it again in the next six months. But, uh, amen. Yeah, <laughs> amen. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Karen in Oakland, California. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? I've been thinking about this for years. I grew up in Bloomfield, Connecticut. I had an idyllic, you know, kind of raising in a very progressive, very integrated Jamaican, Polish, Jewish. We had everybody. And we all were pretty much, you know, like culture shock when we left Bloomfield. We were living in a bubble, but that's not the story. The story is... 
that my father who raised us there, my, my parents who raised us there, my father actually went to the Korean War. And he ended up working for the Pratt & Will, uh, Whitney Will Goose Lab mm-hmm. in it's a turbine laboratory. And turbines require, I guess, PCBs or whatever is part of the lubrication process. I don't know. But that basically gave my dad non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, yeah. And so he died when I was 18. Oh, my. The middle child of three girls. But, that you know, that's life. I mean, it's messed up. But at the end of the day, on his deathbed, I told him, I said, hey, Daddy, you know, I promise I'll go to your alma mater, which is Florida A&M University. Mm-hmm. So especially when I went to Florida A&M University, it was I culture shock, but that's not the story. So I got there because he died. He worked for, you know, he was in the Korean War. And so in addition to my BEOG grants for, mm-hmm. for student age, uh, student aid, I also had my Social Security checks, mm-hmm. which meant that I was just working on campus sometimes. Right. Um, but then Reagan threw, you know, messed that up, which, by the way, I think he also, you know, Gerald Ford signed this, you know, bill saying, no, no PCBs. But I think Reagan actually literally loosened that up. Wouldn't so surprise me. This is, like, this is what Trump did with, uh, I think it's called chloriparose. This, this I remember that. Pesticide I was so that, upset. Yeah, that causes uh, neurological damage, and it had been banned by Obama. And Trump said, oh, no, you can spray it on the crops, no problem. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, that's why you have to eat organic. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> you don't know what's on those conventions. Conventional you, you means bet. could be poisonous, okay? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> anyway, back to the story. So... I had to go to work. You know, I literally had to work my way through school, which is very difficult, you know, to try to study and, you know, be successful and try to have a career and then get a job. I feel sorry for women who got pregnant in college during that time. So, but anyway, so I succeeded. I got my journalism degree and I, you know, was successful there. I worked for the Red Cross. I did all this great work. And then I moved out to Oakland, California. Good work, good career. I got my MBA, and so I'm teaching in the community college district here. All right, and I teach business, and actually, that's when I met you when you were up in Berkeley, mm-hmm. and I have your autograph book of the Hidden History of the War on Voting. Oh, cool! I'm the business professor who talked to you about. I can't wait for your monopolies and oligopoly book so I can teach it to the students. But COVID cool. came. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> COVID came, yeah. and I haven't taught adjunct since. But the final point in all of this is that we were teaching college classes in the high school classrooms. And uh, mine was business, and I, one, would show them a chart of all of the different levels of jobs that get paid after college, which is basically management, technology, and engineering. That's it. All the other jobs you may or may not be able to afford a family of four and go on vacation and everything. Finally, I would tell those students, what are you going to do with your education dollars? Are you just going to go to school and not have a decision? Or are you going to make a decision, make some money, and then decide whether you need a loan or not? Do not go get a loan. So it, it, it worked. Got it. I got to wrap it up, Karen, but thank you. It's a great story, and it's great to hear from you, and uh, it was nice meeting you. Thank you. Jeff in Smyrna, Tennessee. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind? I think I have kind of a unique problem. I had to take a $20,000 student loan to get my son through his last year of college because on all of his Pell Grant applications and his scholarships, His mother was listed as the caregiver, and she had low income, and then she married a man who worked at Nissan, and he made $60,000 a year, but he had retired in the meantime. My boy told them, you know, he's retired, he doesn't make any money. Oh, we go by their income from two years ago. Oh, geez. So they didn't have any money to pay for college, and it came to me. I had to take a $20,000 loan to get my boy through his last year of school. Maybe they could change some of these rules. They basically told him, well, only one caregiver per customer. Yeah. Your mother is listed as your caregiver, so we can't switch it to your father. I make plenty of money, but my uh, adjusted income, income, my adjusted gross income is low because um, I get a lot of deductions as an Uber driver. Right. Right. Yeah, that's so that, I, that, that, that is crazy, my Jeff. Is getting plenty of grants and uh, scholarships because of my income, but yeah. we couldn't switch it. So now I got this twenty thousand dollar loan. Yeah. I don't know what the interest rate is because it's been in forbearance. He was in school and then he graduated in twenty twenty, and all the COVID stuff. It's been in forbearance. Right. So I'm hoping Uncle Joe will take care of it for me. But <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't even have to do it because 
they, but they couldn't switch because of the rules. So maybe we could adapt some of these rules. So you know, we're can get we're the school. only country in the world that does this, Jeff. You can go to college it's for crazy. free in Canada. You can go to college for free in Germany. They pay you to go to college in Denmark. I mean, you know, you can yeah. go to college for free in France. Americans can go to college in France. There are thousands of American yeah. students who are going to college right now for free in France. All you have to do is learn French first. It's like the only it's requirement. Insane. Same thing in Norway. You can go to Americans can go to school, and they are. There are hundreds of Americans going to college right now in Norway. You just have to learn Norwegian first because their college system is free to everybody. I mean, this is insane. Jeff, thank you for, for pointing out the absurdity of our system. I appreciate the call, and, uh, and good luck with that. Ron in Durango, Colorado. Hey, Ron, what's up? Briefly touched upon uh, trade schools, and mm -hmm. I'm in local ad sales, and I've worked, I work with a lot of contractors who are plumbers, electricians, HVAC. They're all in their 60s, and there's no one to come up behind them when they retire in the next 10 years. Yeah. And we need to make it personal with the politicians. Look, you think that, you know, you don't think, you don't believe in free community college, but, you know, what's going to happen in 10 years when your multi-million dollar home has a sewer backup and you can't call a local plumber because they don't offer service calls because they can't, they don't have anybody who can do that. Because they've all retired. So your house is just going to be, right, exactly. And yeah. so we need to get it into a, a whole generation of kids. I've yeah. got a, I've got a contractor in, in uh, New Mexico who said, you know, if I can hire a kid out of the community college, as a journeyman or journey person, um, it's, it's $30 an hour to start. They're part of the union, so they're going to get their health care. They're going to get, you know, benefits from that. And when they get into the full-fledged, you know, when they're not, a, you know, when they get through their training and everything, it's 50 to $60 an hour. Well, that's about $125,000 a year. Hmm. You know, that can rebuild the middle class, yeah. you know, and it can also rebuild unions. Yeah. And so we really need to focus on that. I, I'm with you, Ron. Every, every year I do a, a panel with uh, labor union leaders in Chicago for our local affiliate there, WCPT. And uh, it doesn't play on the national show. It has a couple times, but you know nowadays it doesn't. Um, but we do it on the you know in, in Chicago on the local station, and it's amazing what these unions are doing. They have built their own trade schools, their, their apprenticeship programs. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are just ripping up the pavement in Chicago. But the union movement is still strong there, and they've got you know a, a, enough resources and enough money to make it happen. That is not the case across most of America. I mean, Reagan's war on unions has gutted. Uh, the whole well, it, it, we've convinced a whole generation of kids that it's it's more important to go to college. Yeah. And what we ended up having the last twenty years is MBAs working at Starbucks making above minimum wage. Yep. You yeah, know, we, we should have given them more more options. And they have student loan debts that are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. You know, right. it really has. We need to change the mentality of how we do education in this country. Really I, do. I am with you. That's what I'm calling for. It's like you know, let, let's let's reverse Reaganism and go back to a time in America where eighty percent of the cost of education was paid for by the government, state and federal governments, and only 20 percent was paid by the students. I mean, then college was affordable. It, it is now students are paying uh, between 60 and 80 percent, depending on the schools. And, and you know, federal support is mm -hmm. down to like 20 percent, federal and state support. It's just, it's crazy. Ron, thank you for the call. Tom in Los Angeles. Hey, Tom, what's up? I recorded you so that I picked up the conversation about the GI Bill earlier in the program. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say, I don't think you mentioned, there was a technicality in the writing of the GI Bill to support education of the veterans. You have to be a combatant in order to receive the GI Bill. And they listed most blacks as non-combatants in the military. So they wrote it out in a subtle but vicious way. They denied them the education that most white veterans were capable of receiving. Are you sure of that, Tom? Because my dad joined the Army in the last weeks of World War II. They didn't know it was going to end as, as quickly as it did, and you know, with the, the, the bombing of Hiroshima. And uh, he was 17. He was straight out of high school, went right into the Army because he wanted to defend his country. And he, after he got out of basic training, the war was long gone. He spent two years in Japan uh, you know, as uh, basically a lifeguard for the officers' club and uh, never saw combat. And yet he went to college on the GI Bill. It was what was on their record when they were uh, finished with their service huh. that made them eligible. Yeah. They listed most of the, the veterans out of the Army. When they left the Army, they were not listed as combatants. So it was My more brother, like they, they, they messed with the paperwork to help the white people and hurt the black people. Right. It was different paperwork. Yeah. Amazing. Tom, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call. Rick in Chicago. Hey, Rick, what's up? 
Hi, Tom. Love your show. First time caller. Uh, you're a treasure. Thank you. Um, uh, sure. Uh, I'll get right to it, Tom. Uh, you had a previous caller that talked about the insanity of the cal- uh, college application process. Two suggestions that I think may help because I've done this three times with three kids now. Uh, number one, uh, you have to f- uh, file a CSS profile every year uh, when applying for financial aid. There is a section for when your financial circumstances change. I'm a retired government employee. I'm on a fixed pension. The call was correct. You use uh, your tax form from a year or two ago, and you can uh, uh, simply fill out that detailed portion of the CSS profile and update your financial situation. They are sensitive to that, the schools. Number two. So you're not forced uh, to use two-year-old information. You can use this year's information. You've just got to jump through some hoops, hoops to do it. Right. You have to jump through a hoop, and that hoop is to make sure to fill out that portion that says my financial uh, situation has changed, and right. here's why. Right. And number two is uh, contact your financial aid office. If your kid gets uh, accepted at a particular college and you don't necessarily agree with the financial aid package, you can appeal it, or if something has changed recently, you can work with them. They'll work with you. Some of these schools have a lot of money. Not that they always give it to you, but they mm-hmm. do have a lot of money. You can work with them. They are receptive, and if you're polite and professional and say, hey, this is my current situation. I've had health problems. My wife doesn't work anymore. This, this. Uh, They will work with you and increase your financial aid package. So those are just two things. That's great, Rick. And it's all, it's good to know, but it just shouldn't be in the United States. I said earlier, Canada, uh, college is free in Canada. Apparently it's not, it's just cheap. Um, But, but, you know, college should be cheap in the United States. People shouldn't have to take out loans to go to college. Rick, thank you. Thanks Thanks for that data point. That was an excellent one. James in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, James, what's on your mind? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm 85 years old, and and when I uh, got out of the service, I went to Ohio State under the GI Bill. Oh, just like my dad did. Different school, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, my tuition was $90 a quarter. Back then, Ohio State was on quarters. It changed to semesters now, but... It was ninety dollars a quarter, and I, as if I recall, I think, I think I got about ninety dollars from the government on the VA. I, I, I'm not sure. Right. Uh, I can't recall on that. I'm just getting too old, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but but they paid the VA paid for your college is the bottom line of the story. Yes, and I, you know, I worked uh, at the higher union for three nights a week, mm-hmm. and made a dollar an hour, and. You know, could went to school when I graduated. I didn't know anyone anything. I yeah. was absolutely yeah. debt free. That was the story of my dad's generation. That is, by and large, the story of my generation. You know, people who went to college in the '60s and '70s, and and but you know, anybody who went to college after Reagan became president, it's a whole different story. James, thank you, thank you for sharing that story with us. Nathan in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Hey, Nathan, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, I just wanted to encourage people to get into the tag or it uh, mode a little more seriously because um, the pace Merrick Garland has taken and how he's playing by the rules where Republicans don't. And he is acting as he's handling this whole situation as if it's really not unprecedented. Marcy Wheeler is a, a lawyer and a good legal analyst, and she has a, a blog, I guess you'd call it, uh, called Empty Wheel. Um, if you just plug it into a search engine, it'll pop right up. I, I, I believe that's the URL, but I don't want to give a wrong URL on the air. She's, uh, she published a piece this week saying that while all these uh, lawyers on TV, she calls them, you know, the pundits on TV are saying that Merrick Garland's not doing anything and DOJ isn't doing anything, that in fact... If you kind of look behind the curtain uh, at the actual subpoenas that are going out, at the actual material that they've been gathering, it looks like they are building a very strong case against Trump and some of these other Republicans. Um, and but it's got to be done right. It's got to be done step by step. It's got to be done properly. If it's going to, you know, if you're actually going to put people in prison, if you're going to actually have, you know, uh, changes, um, you know, if, if, if you're actually going to hold lawbreakers to account. 
I honestly don't know the truth here. I don't know if Garland is, is you know, uh, goofing off or afraid of going after Republicans, which is what I implied in my newsletter today, or if it's that, you know, he's very carefully and methodically building a case and you don't do that in public. Uh, I would think that there should be a grand jury uh, involved in this, and I've heard conflicting stories about whether there is or not. So, well, that's what Michael Cohen said. And Michael Cohen said, "Make me the attorney general, and I'll have cuffs on these guys in you know 48 hours, like they did with them." Yeah, because they, they we, there's enough to prosecute. I mean, the, the, I, I think you're right, Nathan. It, I mean, you and I are largely singing the same song, and. If you want to pressure the Department of Justice, the main way to do that would be either through contacting the White House or through contacting your elected officials, because they can then speak, you know, whisper to President Biden and, and, and Biden can have a conversation with Garland. Um, they have to realize the, the depth of outrage across this country and, and to sense that pressure. But Nathan, thanks a lot for the call. It's, it's a great hearing from you. Now, Stuart in uh, New Zealand. New Zealand? Stuart, on the other side of the world, what's up? Yeah, Tom. Hey, look, I stumbled onto your show through an app that just showed me everybody who's streaming news. And I stream, I did a search on TalkBack, and fortunately, I picked your station, Detour Radio, where I first heard you. And let me tell you, just a breath of fresh air. Well, thank you. Uh, one, one, I'm feeling good because I'm realizing that there's still level-headed people in the world, and, and it's not totally as crazy as the news often portray. So I yeah. just want to give you guys kudos, a, a real good picture of what's going on. And I'm shocked at, at what the Republicans are doing uh, to the United States, the laws that they're enacting in order to just whitewash American history and all the rest of it is just... Is that widely known in New Zealand? Does the news in New Zealand cover the, the, the this astonishing level of Republican corruption and perfidy here in the United States? No, the news is really filtered. I mean, it's basically, you do get world news, but not to the extent that's showing in depth. You have to go to any of the major news broadcasters. You touched on the fact that you have to enact laws, and I'm glad to hear your comments just now about the fact that these are being put together and hopefully done correctly so that these things that, that Trump perpetrated can actually be uh, persecuted, uh, not persecuted, but brought prosecuted. into court yeah. and prosecuted against so that it never happens. How somebody can become a president without any proper political background is like first and foremost in my mind. I mean, nobody, unless you've been a senator or a governor, you shouldn't be allowed in office of that nature. So, yes. No more real estate moguls, please. <laughs> Stuart, I'm sorry, Absolutely. I got to run. But th thanks for the call from New Zealand and, and uh, look forward to future conversations. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. There's a couple of stories here that I did want to share with you, though. We were talking about what moral panics are and how these moral panics are, are just, you know, going, going, going all the time. And Republicans seem to love them and they seem to love to expand on them. Uh, the Daily Beast reports in, that in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Maine and Iowa, school board meetings have been disrupted by allegations that educators are giving special treatment to furry students this this whole thing of furries right people who dress up like animals and like you know traditionally it's kind of like a party thing or you know it's just yeah it's but it, it it's a it's a it's a new moral panic it's an absolute hysteria that is traveling through facebook uh there was this false claim that that has you know, literally millions of people have seen this that in michigan in the public schools they are putting litter boxes in the bathrooms so that the furry students can use the litter boxes instead of the toilets. It's not true. 
in York County, Pennsylvania, face, Facebook rumors began swirling around uh, among the, the. This is all conservatives, by the way. This is this is this this moral panic, this freak out, this hysteria is entirely limited to conservatives. Um, uh, that uh, the furries quote could be in your child's classroom, hissing at your child and licking themselves. Right. I think you know. I don't know if you if you've seen the 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 play cats you know where they're all all the makeup and they're all dressed up like cats yeah really that's that's going on in our schools no it's not and i think the point that's really worth making and this is a great story about this over at raw story titled fear of furries in school grips conservative parents fooled by absurd facebook posts uh the uh oh fur <laughs> this patch O'Fur, the proprietary, the pri proprietor of the furry news site Dog Patch Press, tells the Daily Beast, "It's culture war. It's control. It's not about protecting kids. If you actually look at who's doing this, and some of the political groups involved, they're all far right. And by this, we're talking about the hysteria around furries. Oh my God! And uh, it's just it, this is just another moral panic. And so." How do moral panics happen? Well, people promote them. People pound on them. In this case, it's conservatives and Republicans promoting and pounding on them in order to have a bloody shirt to wave to say, hey, you know, look, at there's a battle here. We, we, we got to join the fight. Come on in. Send us some money. And I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook, but it's like you probably haven't because, you know, Facebook knows if you're conservative or progressive. And if you're conservative, you get one kind of information. And if you're progressive, you get another kind of information on Facebook. So anyhow, just an FYI, beware of right wing memes bearing furries and know they don't have litter boxes in the schools in Michigan. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.